MSW Media. Thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And this episode is also brought to you by Jiminy's, maker of sustainable dog food and treats made with cricket protein that's better for the environment, uses less land and water to produce, and tastes amazing. Cricket protein is a superfood that's delicious, nutritious, and easy to digest for dogs. You can save 25% on your first purchase. Just go to Jiminy's.com slash DailyBeans25 and use code DailyBeans25 at checkout. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, June 10th, 2022. Today, the Department of Justice said in a Proud Boys hearing today that the 1-6 committee will give all 1,000 or so transcripts to the Department of Justice in September. Michigan Republican gubernatorial candidate Ryan Kelly was raided and arrested by the FBI this morning. Top Meadows aide Cassidy Hutchinson swaps out her lawyers. And the Department of Justice says Pete Navarro lied and the court should deny his request for a continuance in his contempt of Congress case. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hi, everyone. It's me. It's AG. I'm traveling. Dana is also traveling. She's not going to be with me today. But I do have an interview later in the show with Mark Fulman. He is the author of Trigger Points. And uh, we're going to be discussing his latest in Mother Jones. And uh, also today, I just want to let you know, this is being recorded before the 1-6 committee hearing tonight. I'm going to be finishing this recording, finishing the interview, and then heading out to listen to those hearings. So you're not going to get coverage of the hearings in this episode, but you will be getting it Monday morning on The Beans. And so that is the show. And uh, I'm excited to get into the news today because there's a lot of it. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, everybody. First up, the Michigan GOP is hot garbage. In addition to five Republican candidates being disqualified for submitting fraudulent signatures in their bid to be on the ballot, and despite the Michigan Attorney General investigating Trump-backed electors breaching voting machines, the lead Republican gubernatorial candidate was arrested Thursday morning on misdemeanor charges related to his involvement in the Capitol riot on January 6th. That's according to the Justice Department. Ryan Kelly, 40 years old of Allendale, Michigan, was arrested in Allendale on charges of, uh, let's see, there's, well, there's several charges, destruction of government property, and of course, being violent uh, on restricted grounds, entering restricted grounds, etc. And these are all charges stemming from the 1-6 Capitol breach. That's according to Bill Miller, a spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia. Kelly was released on bond later Thursday after making his initial appearance in federal court in Michigan. He greeted his supporters outside the courthouse after his release, giving a thumbs up and hugs, according to local reporters on the scene. The Detroit FBI field office confirmed Kelly's arrest and said his home had been searched on Thursday morning. Quote, I can confirm FBI agents from the Grand Rapids office executed an arrest and search warrant at Mr. Kelly's residence in Allendale, Michigan. At this time, I cannot provide any information on the nature of the charges against Mr. Kelly. That's Mark Schneider, public affairs officer with the FBI's Detroit office, in a written statement, adding that she expected additional information to be forthcoming. In 2020, Kelly, who is a real estate broker, 
began leading rallies against COVID-19 lockdowns and mandates in Michigan, according to his website. He said he led rallies against the COVID restrictions at the state capitol in Lansing and Grand Rapids. The gubernatorial candidate added that he, quote, guarded a Civil War statue in his hometown of Allendale during protests in the summer of 2020. A crowded field of Republicans is jockeying to face the Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer in what will be one of the nation's most closely watched campaigns this fall. Of course, a lot of them seem to be disqualifying themselves through criming. And the Proud Boys were in federal court this morning for a motions hearing in front of Judge Kelly. And in that hearing, we learned that the government does not have the 1-6 committee transcripts related to the Proud Boys, or any for that matter, but they're still in talks, and they announced in court that they will be getting them in September, all 1,000 or so. Tario and the Proud Boys have pled not guilty to the seditious conspiracy charges that were just brought on Monday. And Cassidy Hutchinson, top aide of former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows during the Trump era, has parted ways with her lawyers and brought on new representation. Her new lawyer, Jody Hunt, of Alston Bird confirmed the move to Politico. The change in counsel signals an increased willingness from Hutchinson to cooperate fully with the January 6th Select Committee's probe. That's according to a person familiar with her thinking. The panel has signaled that it views her as a key witness. Hutchinson's former attorney, Stefan Pasatino, has deep Trump world connections. Her new lawyer, Jody Hunt, is a longtime close ally of Jeff Sessions and served as his chief of staff when former Attorney General enraged Trump by recusing himself from the Russia probe. Jody Hunt was for that recusal. Select committee members have praised Hutchinson for providing extensive testimony behind closed doors over the course of three depositions and under two different subpoenas. The January 6th panel is expecting to call her in for live testimony during a public hearing. It's unusual, though not unheard of, for people involved in high-profile congressional probes to change counsel. Hutchinson is a uniquely important witness because she has shared information about Meadows who has refused to sit for an interview with the select panel. And that paragraph, this is what Betsy Woodruff Swan is reporting. Hutchinson has told investigators Meadows was warned of potential violence before January 6th and that he burned papers in his office fireplace after a meeting with Scott Perry, by the way. And she also relayed that Meadows told aides of Trump during the riot, expressing a positive view of hanging then-Vice President Mike Pence. That was supposed to be a blockbuster thing that the committee was going to uncover that came out early. Jamie Raskin, select committee member, told the Washington Post earlier this month that Hutchinson certainly rendered truthful testimony to the panel. Pasantino, the former attorney, was uh, the Trump White House's chief ethics lawyer. I'm going to put ethics in quotes. And Pasatino's firm, Michael Best, has Trump World Connections. Its president is former White House chief of staff Reince Priebus and Justin Clark, also a Trump World lawyer, and is currently on leave from the firm, by the way, according to their website. Attorney Alex Cannon, who worked on the Trump campaign and with Trump's legal team after his presidency, is also a lawyer at that firm. So deep, deep Trump ties. Hutchinson has brought on Hunt of Alston Bird just before the January 6th committee's first major hearing Thursday night. He was Sessions chief of staff during the first year of the Trump administration, then became head of the Justice Department's civil division. Hunt has generally kept a low public profile, but on Twitter, he has publicly defended Sessions' decision to recuse from the Mueller probe. Of course, we know Trump didn't like that very much. William Jordan, a partner at the same firm as Hunt, is also representing Hutchinson. Jody Hunt also played a role in the Mueller probe and uh, is noticeably missing, though, from this Politico piece. If I could talk uh, about this for a sec, is, you know, uh, Betsy Woodruff Swan keeps talking about it's unusual to change lawyers in the middle of a of a of a Congress, a congressional investigation. And she's doing this in the middle of the January 6th committee's probe. 
that she doesn't make any mention of the glaring possibility that the change in counsel might not be about the committee. It could be about the Department of Justice. Subjects tend to switch lawyers when they decide to cooperate or cut a deal or take their, take their defense in a different direction, if you know what I mean. So I think this might have more to do with the Department of Justice and less to do with the January 6th committee. We'll find out. And finally, the Department of Justice has filed a motion to oppose Pete Navarro's motion to delay his proceedings for 45 days. And their motion undercuts most of the public statements Navarro is making about his arrest. From Kyle Cheney and Nicholas Wu at Politico, former Trump administration official Peter Navarro called the FBI agents who arrested him Nazis, according to a Justice Department filing Thursday in court, accusing Navarro of repeatedly lying about the conditions of his arrest. FBI agents arrested Navarro at Reagan National Airport last Friday on a pair of misdemeanor charges that he acted in contempt of Congress by defying a subpoena. Since his arrest, Navarro has been on a media tear, accusing the FBI of denying him a chance to call a lawyer and depriving him of food and water. But the Justice Department says those claims are false. And it appended a summary of the circumstances of Navarro's arrest on an FBI 302 report written by the two agents who arrested him, Walter Giardina and Sebastian Gardner. The government filing Thursday seems to mock Navarro's priorities. It says FBI agents offered to contact an attorney for Navarro, but he wanted to use his phone to let a media outlet know he was going to miss a scheduled TV interview. That's what he wanted to use his one phone call for. When Navarro was offered a chance to call an attorney, according to the FBI, the defendant noted he was preparing to proceed pro se. He was going to represent himself. Quote, Special Agent Jardina asked, do you have an attorney you want to call? What is the name of your attorney? That's according to the FBI report. Navarro replied, I'm supposed to be on live TV tonight. I'd like to call the producer and tell him I'm not going to be there. Can I have my phone, please? Actually, he didn't say please. I added the please. I'm just uh, inherently polite. Navarro, quote, made statements to the effect that the arresting agents were kind Nazis. And how could you live with yourselves? While some of Navarro's allies have claimed he was pulled off an airplane, the report says he was actually intercepted by the FBI on the jetway at National and as he prepared to board an American Airlines commuter flight bound for Nashville. Navarro has also claimed that he was shackled after his arrest. The FBI report mentions handcuffs, but no shackles. Nor does it address any security practices he might have encountered after he was handed over to the deputy U.S. Marshals at the courthouse in Washington last Friday. The Justice Department's filing came a day after the department urged the judge in Navarro's case, Amit Mehta, we know him, to quickly enter a protective order preventing Navarro from disseminating evidence provided to him by prosecutors. Now, Navarro is due in court to be arraigned on the charges on June 17th, but he's requested a 45-day delay, citing his effort to retain an attorney and to litigate a civil lawsuit against the department, that lawsuit that he filed, and the January 6th Select Committee. The department said there was no legal basis to delay speedy trial obligations to accommodate a civil lawsuit. The department is urging Judge Mehta to reject the continuance request, noting Navarro still has a week to obtain counsel if he wants it, and that his request for a delay would be disruptive to the case. The FBI summary of Navarro's arrest provides more details about the manner in which he was taken into custody, too. Navarro, who was accompanied by an unidentified individual, was in the jetway after he was taken into custody at 11.14 a.m., according to the agents. After he was led down the jetway steps, he was handcuffed, and his wallet, cell phone, and pen were taken and put in a manila envelope. That's according to the report. Navarro was taken to the FBI's Washington field office for processing, including fingerprinting and a DNA sample. DNA sample, okay. After Navarro complained that his handcuffs were causing shoulder pain, 
They were replaced with a second set and loosened, which the agents said relieved Navarro's discomfort. He initially rejected an offer of food, according to the summary, but asked for some at 12.08 p.m. and was given chocolate, nuts, and dried fruit. He was later asked whether he wanted more food, and he declined. So he wasn't, it's not like he didn't ask for food and water and was denied. So, bunch of lies. But, I mean, you know, who's surprised, really? (laughs) It's Pete Navarro. Anyway, that is the news today. I'm off to watch the 1-6 committee hearings. But before we go, before I take off, I have an interview for you with the author of Trigger Points. It's an amazing book by Mark Fullman. We've had him on the show before. But now he has a new piece out in Mother Jones about some statistics that you're really going to want to hear. That's right after this break. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And I know you care about the environment and love your dog as much as I do. So Jiminy's Sustainable Dog Food and Treats are made from cricket protein, and they're perfect for you both. Jiminy's is sustainably made because cricket protein uses way less water and land to produce. It drastically eliminates greenhouse gas emissions versus traditional animal protein dog food. One bag of Jiminy's Cricket Protein Treats saves 220 gallons of water versus traditional animal protein treats. This is just a little bag of treats, 220 gallons. And Jiminy's is easy for dogs to digest because cricket protein actually has a fiber in it that's prebiotic which supports a healthy gut in your dog. It's also good for dogs with food sensitivities or allergies because insect protein is considered hypoallergenic for dogs versus other allergy-triggering proteins like beef, chicken, fish, and soy. All these health benefits and dogs love the taste. They gobble them up. I actually use these treats to train. That's how delicious they are. Jiminy's includes delicious, nutritious plant-based ingredients like sweet potatoes, blueberries, peanut butter, and pumpkin. I was surprised at how much Olive loved her new dog treats and dog food from Jiminy's. Now she literally jumps for joy every meal. So to learn more and save 25% on your first purchase, go to Jiminy's.com slash DailyBeans25 and use code DailyBeans25 at checkout. That's Jiminy's, J-I-M-I-N-Y-S dot com slash DailyBeans25 and use code DailyBeans25. And let's talk about something I use literally every day for my nutrition. I started taking Athletic Greens AG1 because I wanted more energy and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted good and I wanted to combine the 800 bottles of vitamins and probiotics and things in my cabinet into one convenient, delicious, easy to uh, ha- easy habit to pick up. And that's why I love AG1. One delicious scoop of AG1 and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging, pretty much everything you could think of. And I love it. The taste is amazing and the benefits really help my lifestyle. I have the energy I need. It's simple to use, easy habit to pick up, and I make sure to take it wherever I go. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin. It's important that you choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. Otherwise, you're just wasting it. It also costs less than $3 a day, which is a great price to invest in your health and is cheaper, like I said, than all of those different supplements. And we want to thank Athletic Greens for their support. And right now, they're offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. So it's time to reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, just one delicious scoop and a cup of water every morning, that's it. No need for the million different pills and probiotics and adaptogens that you have to buy separately. It's so amazing and it's so important important to look out for your health. And again, Athletic Greens is going to give you that free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. All you got to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. 
Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by my friend, author of the book Trigger Points Inside the Mission to Stop Mass Shootings in America. Please welcome Mark Fallman. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hi. Good to see you again, Allison. It is. Uh, it's really good to see you. And I wanted to talk to you um, because I, we've had you on before to discuss your book, which is uh, amazing. Everybody needs to pick it up. It's called Trigger Points. You can get it wherever books are sold. But more recently, since we've spoken, we've had uh, probably another 15 mass shootings, at least in America, just 10 over this past weekend. And of course, the absolute heartbreaking destruction in, in Uvalde. And um a lot of folks feeling like this time may be different. And we're seeing a lot of new statistics come out that we haven't seen before. Mostly things like 92% of Americans want uh, universal background checks and things like that. But you recently did a piece in Mother Jones called The Most Shocking New Statistic on Mass Shootings. Can you talk a little bit about that piece? Sure. Well, so after the spate of mass shootings, again, just the last few weeks in Buffalo and in Tulsa, and of course, the horrific devastation in, in Uvalde at the Rob El- Elementary School, there was a subsequent wave of public opinion polling that reaffirmed a lot of what we've known for a long time, the overwhelming majority support, bipartisan support for background checks, um, and now for extreme risk protection orders as well, so-called red flag laws, which have been growing a lot in recent years at the state level. Um, it's abundantly clear that most Americans want stronger gun regulations in this country. And the disconnect with what happens in Congress is just astonishing. But within this new wave of polling was something else that was really astonishing. And I say this as someone who has followed gun violence and gun politics and and investigated it for many years now. This really floored me. A a, a poll that came out on Sunday from CBS YouGov showed that 44% of Republicans that is nearly half of all Republicans believe that we just have to accept mass shootings as a fact of American life, as part of living in a free society. Um, and this is after Uvalde, after the fresh slaughter of school children. In a way, this was not surprising to me, but it's just shocking still that so many people in our country, particularly I, who identify with today's Republican politics, would think that way, especially given the other context in the poll that. An overwhelming majority of Americans, uh, almost three quarters, believe that we can prevent mass shootings from happening if we make that uh, a a top goal, prioritize that as part of our our, um, efforts with policy, with lawmaking, and other efforts. So it's just stunning to me that so many people can buy into this idea now that we're just going to accept this as part of American life and go on. Yeah. And I guess my question would be, I, I would want to know more about that, right? The PhD in me wants to do some case studies on on the, that 44% because, you know, as we know, so, you know, we can accept information coming coming at us that sucks, but tends to be true. Like, for example, perhaps a lot of people want to be to be able to own guns because of implicit racism and fear. And we can talk about that. But do you think that this 44% number is illustrative of true underlying beliefs in the Republican Party or something that these folks have been sold, a bill of goods that they've been sold by the NRA and millions and millions of dollars in in campaigns and messaging and bumper stickers and single word things. I, I just I can't help but wonder if they truly feel that way or if they've been bought to feel that way. Yeah, that is a great question. And I have thought about that a lot because when you look at a, at a polling stat like that, it's just 
frankly, it's hard to believe in some ways that people could really feel that way. I think there are a couple of things at work here. One is where you're pointing, for sure. Um, ideological politics, political extremism, the way that that has become more normalized in the United States in recent years, um, also combined with the long-term efforts of the gun industry and, and that side of gun politics to sell fear, to sell demagoguery to constituents who have taken up this idea that it's all or nothing with guns, that this is a scorched earth battle, that there can be no regulation of guns at all, or that means guns will all be taken away. It's, it's a false dichotomy that has been created and nurtured and perpetuated for many years by the gun lobby and by conservative Republicans who are invested in the status quo of gun laws. I think something else at work here too, Allison, is the, the, the narrative that we've settled into now for years of kind of this cultural and political resignation about gun violence and about mass shootings, the idea that, oh, nothing can really be done to fix this, that we're so stuck, we're so deadlocked and have been for so long that this will never change, that this is an endless problem. And I wrote about this recently in Mother Jones as well, but that's, that's wrong in my view. There's a lot we can do about this problem to reduce it, to prevent it, not just with this long ongoing fight over gun regulations, the kinds of laws that most Americans say they want consistently in public opinion polling, but also through other means. It's going to take, as I argued recently, many forms of action to deal with this problem. Mm. Community-based violence prevention using the threat assessment model that I write about in Trigger Points, I think is, exactly. is a really, really important tool here. Um, and also battling political extremism. It is rising in American politics and has been for years. I've written about this a lot too, reported on it. Um, this is a real problem and it's starting to fuel mass shootings more. We've seen a number of cases where this has been a driving motivation. So it's it's alarming and that's something we need to address as well. Yeah, and I, th I think that's the thing too, because, I mean, first of all, American citizens are clearly not at odds with what we what we need to change with with respect to to common sense gun safety laws. But as you said, it doesn't just have to be federal. It's it's the Congress that it, and they're they're, you know, bought and paid by the NRA, all of their lobbying money that goes into there. That is what the problem is. Fifty Republicans are holding the rest of us hostage on this. And this is a this is a body that was attacked on January 6th. As you know, as you and I are, are talking right now, we're a couple of hours away from the first hearing. But as this show will air the the hearing will have already come out. It is the you know it is the next day when we when we play this episode. Yeah. But that body was attacked, and the people in that chamber must know that gun laws work because of the gun laws in Washington D.C. Violent extremist groups, Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, were forced to keep their arsenals across the river, across the Potomac, in quick reaction force hotel rooms at the Holiday Inn, I guess. And not only that, but I think only maybe a dozen or so people were arrested with firearms at the Capitol, and none of them used them, as far as I know, except the police in that one instance, uh, to defend the Capitol doors. So this chamber knows what works and what doesn't work. They were attacked and could have been injured, killed, kidnapped if it weren't for common sense gun safety laws. Yet here we are. Yeah. Although I would say that I think that's the there's a tension in that point that is quite delicate, that uh, it may have been just enough to prevent utter catastrophe on January 6th, 2021, 
And as this airs on Friday, I'm sure we will have seen in, in, in again, yet more vivid terms how incredibly dangerous January 6th was, how close we were to the brink of total disaster for our country and for American democracy. Um, it's a miracle that there was not mass violence during that event. Um, and as we showed with the Mother Jones investigation last year, there were a lot of firearms brought to the Capitol for January 6th. Um, some people left them behind, as you say, because of D.C. laws that may have been a deterrent to some degree. There's really no way to measure that ultimately. Uh, but we also know that that militia groups were stockpiling firearms just across the river, had plans to bring them in, um, that there were people at the Capitol who had guns on them, have been arrested for that and are, are facing charges. Some have been convicted now. Um, so it may be that we got lucky that that this was one chance where we didn't have a, a, you know, a kind of epic event of violence. And, and it was a, a, an epic event of violence already. I mean, there were hundreds right. of police officers assaulted. Yeah, we're not trying to downplay the nobody, violence. Nobody was pulling out guns and opening fire, but I think right. we were incredibly close to that. And you, you can see that in the law enforcement testimony too. They themselves have said that they were extremely concerned that day about um, you know, going after people who they suspected were armed um, about the possibility of, of starting to use their own weapons because of what that might have might have led to. Um, so it was a real powder keg. And, and our country is extremely fortunate that it didn't become far worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the very, very strict rules that, that they have in, in, in D.C. about where you can bring guns, what kind you can bring, how big the magazines can be, how much ammunition you can have. So many were confiscated. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that um, I think that's very important. And as we sit here, the, the body now is trying to come up with a what I would call probably a watered down bill, better than nothing, but watered down and doesn't have any anything in it of, with real teeth like a universal background check or raising the age to 21 to purchase long guns like this or an assault weapons ban, which uh, we know also works. We've seen the statistics for that. What do you think of this? My my first thought was, why don't the the Democrats write 10 or 15 or 20 clean single bills. One of them is to raise the age. One of them is a universal background check. One of the bills is this. Then put them all through and see which ones get through and which ones don't. Instead of trying to put an omnibus together that will end up being watered down, where the Republicans will say, we did it. And, and everyone will say, the Democrats let this water down. They'll, they'll blame Democrats, uh, who are the ones who are trying to help everyone. I just, I feel like it's just become sort of a shit show. I don't understand. Um, things that have been taken off the table for no good reason. The only arguments I've heard actually, Mark, from from some of the senators is, well, we don't like the way the House did this, so we're not going to vote on raising the age to 21. Not anything about the Constitution or the Second Amendment or any kind of merits argument, but more of a, mm, what would you call it, process argument as to why they're not going to include these things in here and just let children can, and people continue to die. What, what are your thoughts on this legislation and what do you hope comes out of it? Yeah, well, you know, I think people need to realize the, the the reality of this. We've seen this dance before. Republicans use, you know, the Republicans in the Senate are using the same kind of misdirection that they always use. They they sort of feign as if they're serious about new regulations. Oh, we'll consider it and we're talking about it. This time may be different, uh, but we know where that leads. And I suspect we're, we're looking at the same process again now. 
Um, so really, this is, you know, the challenges of this are, are bigger and more fundamental in terms of the dysfunction of Congress and our political system right now in passing legislation pretty much of any kind, uh, let alone on something so polarizing as, as gun laws. Uh, that's not to say that it's impossible. And I think it is interesting to consider a much more kind of targeted, specific approach, as you suggest, with maybe one or two measures that that do have real potential. One of them may be red flag laws, uh, a federal version of that. There is actually already model legislation for that that was put out last year by the Justice Department. This is a law to, uh, through a civil procedure, to remove firearms from individuals who are deemed by a judge through a court process to be dangerous to themselves or others, to temporarily ban them from having firearms or to remove the firearms. This goes directly to the political argument that so many Republicans make after every gun massacre you know, keep the guns away from dangerous people. And this is all about mental illness, which is a myth. That's totally wrong. As I write about in Trigger Points and have written in op-eds recently in the LA Times and elsewhere, um, that is also a tactic that the Republicans use to dodge serious debate and serious work on gun policy. Um, If we can just blame it all on a bunch of crazy people who are totally detached from reality and just snap as if they're acting impulsively when they commit a mass shooting, then we can forget about all this other stuff. We just have to deal with those crazy monsters. But right. That's, it's that's like, yeah, it's like, well, what can we do? Our hands are tied. I mean, we aren't right. going to have socialized medicine like this, like the communists in Europe. So we, you know, we just have to deal with it. I, that's the sort of how it always turns out. But look at the Buffalo case, the mass shooting in Buffalo. That young man, that 18 year old had raised enough concern the year before while he was yeah. still in high school to be taken into custody by state police and given a mental health evaluation. New York has a red flag law. This speaks to the opportunity to prevent these before they happen. And we don't yet know all the details of that case. There's an ongoing investigation. But I strongly suspect we will learn of more evidence along the way that there was opportunity to intervene, to disrupt what this individual was planning, to interrupt his movement down the pathway to violence, this escalating process of of warning behaviors and planning and preparation for an attack. Uh, red flag laws could be a potentially very powerful tool for that. It has ar- they ha- have already been used to some effect in, in states. I mean, the, the research on them is relatively new because the laws are new, but it looks promising so far. So why isn't that something that Republicans are taking seriously, especially when they say that's what they want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially because there is strong bipartisan support for that policy. So again, we have this really stark disconnection in public opinion in the United States, in understanding of the reality of this problem, and then what politicians do. And I think, as you say, this is the story of political power, of lobbying power, and money. That's what it comes down to. It's had a stranglehold on this for a long time. And, you know, the question of what will it take to change that is still in front of us, unfortunately. Yeah. And and the Republicans in Congress aren't taking it seriously because they're not serious people. So um, thank you so much for that. And, 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 and again, that's one of the biggest things that you write about in Trigger Points, along with things that we should be, can be and should be doing and focusing on locally to, to take care of these issues ourselves. One thing that we certainly can do about federal gun laws is we can vote in November, make our voices heard 
and replace members of Congress who are bought and paid for by gun lobbies, gun manufacturers, things like that. Things who folks who want to get the wrong message out and and turn people into sort of zombies who will just answer the question. Yes, I believe children are sacrificial lambs so that we can keep having guns. Forty four percent, as you said in your Mother Jones piece. It's unbelievable. I thank you so much for joining me today. I encourage everybody to pick up Trigger Points. It's called Trigger Points Inside the Mission to Stop Mass Shootings in America. Author Mark Fullman. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Allison. Great to talk with you again. Great to talk to you. Everybody, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, We will be back uh, on Monday with Dana. And until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.